Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Have we gotten to this point where people wake up every morning looking for something to be offended about? I live in this place called the real world, and I understand what is going to happen. Her story is, I was trying to scare him away. At the same time, she shot him point blank in the face. Okay, that's not exactly a warning shot. The Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Coming up next, Squirrel. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Just in time for the snow. My producer grew. Today's your last day for a while. You're going to be heading out to sunnier climbs, right? That's right. All right. Hope you don't get snowed into Milwaukee. Boy, that would really stink. You know, you're thinking about, like, flying out to Arizona and... November 1st, and you get hit with snow. I'm sure it will be absolutely okay. Not worried, but you got three hours to go before you get to punch that button and like sign off for at least a couple days. All right, we have a lot of ground to cover. couple quick program notes. First of all, Veterans Day is Monday, November 11th. This Saturday, it's I think the eighth year in a row, they call it Operation Honor. It's an event put on by the city of Waukesha. Um, I'm going to be the MC, and I've been the MC for most of, of the time the program has, has run. Saturday afternoon, downtown Waukesha. Um, at the Schultze Recreation Center, um, there's going to be a military band. There's a keynote speaker from the military. Donald Dunbar is going to be speaking. The mayor will be there. I'll be the MC. Um, it, it's just a wonderful event. Doors open at 3.30. The um, program begins at 4.30. And then afterwards, they, they serve dinner to all that's assembled. Uh, so, if you're a veteran yourself and you're in the area Saturday afternoon, please come on out. If you know a veteran, bring them. It, it's always a very, very life-affirming event. That's Operation Honor at the uh, downtown Waukesha Saturday afternoon. And then we're already running the promos next Tuesday morning, 9.30 a.m., I'm heading down to the Potawatomi Hotel and Casino. I'm going to be like a, a guest bingo caller for their, their big charity event. And so um, I'm, I'm doing one thing. And there, as I said yesterday, I, I did this once a number of years ago. There is a lot of pressure on here because bingo players are serious. They're, they're, there's no joking around. They, they want you to call the numbers, call them quickly. No jokes. Make sure you don't make a mistake and you'll kind of get on with it. So I'm, I'm going to kind of be preparing over the course of the next several days, you know, 055 or whatever. We'll, we'll be, we'll kind of be working on that, but that's Tuesday. If you happen to be thinking about going down to play bingo and there will be hundreds and hundreds of people there, um, stop by and say hello. All right. Lot of ground to cover. Let us get started. We start off on a, on a very, very sad note. Uh, last Thursday, there was the hit and run incident in Milwaukee. Everybody, I think, is familiar with the details right now. About 5.30 in the evening, you have a group of children, small children, who are crossing the street. It's like 22nd and Center. They're coming back from a park. They're heading home for supper. And what happens is a car... And the kids are crossing. They've got the light. So they're, they're in the crosswalk. Everything's fine. A car comes up to that intersection. There's a number of cars that are stopped 
um, you know, waiting for the light to change. This car decides it is going to swerve around all the cars that are stopped, waiting for the light to change, plow through the intersection, I believe at a high rate of speed. It hits three of the children. Six-year-old is killed at the scene, essentially. Um, the six-year-old, her four-year-old sister, severely injured, and their 10-year-old cousin, severely injured. The, I mean, the tragic story that comes out yesterday is the medical examiner c- confirms that the four-year-old um, who was injured in the crash has passed away now, too. So you've got these two sisters, four and six, who are hit and killed by this car that drives through the intersection against the light and then flees. Now, I, I've been watching this on a constant basis. Uh, the authorities say they took four, they arrested four people on Friday, three of whom are brothers, don't know the fourth one. They believe that there is a 19-year-old man, one of the brothers, who was driving the car. The reports are that he has been in custody since, I, I believe, Friday on a three-quarters of a million dollars bond. So far, Charges have not been issued against them. When if that's, this is a long time, and I, I'm sure part of the thing that was going on is they were, you know, checking to see, hoping the four-year-old girl survived her injuries. Um, she didn't, so that adds a whole new level of, of charges to this. Um, my guess is the criminal complaint will probably be issued sometime today. I would have thought it would have come out yesterday because, like I say, this is a long time to have people in custody without the formal charges being issued. And I'm sure that that criminal complaint is going to have some just really dazzling details about the people involved in blowing through the light, hitting, killing the girl. This, of course, is nothing new, though. I mean, in this case, you've got the tragic example of the six- and the four-year-old who've lost their lives. But reckless and irresponsible driving in the city of Milwaukee is no, it's not a new story. We talk about it all the time. And almost everybody, if you drive in this area, you've got, you've got stories about this. Cars going through red lights at high rates of speed and um, cars being slammed into by cars driving recklessly. That The distinction about this case, of course, is that this was not a near miss. This was one where a six and a four-year-old are, are dead. But But that's... I don't want to describe it as bad luck, but to an extent, that's what what it is, because, uh, you know, in in so many cases, you have the people that drive recklessly and irresponsibly, and it's the the car just through some miracle misses them or doesn't hit people or or whatever. But this goes on on a regular basis, and everybody is trying to figure out how you, you stop it. We talked yesterday about one of my solutions, which was to say, let's stop fooling around and let's recognize that reckless driving, getting behind the wheel of a several thousand pound vehicle and driving 90 miles an hour through a red light, that's really not that much different than taking a handgun and firing that handgun down you know, a crowded city street. And maybe instead of just slapping the wrists of people who do that, it, it's time to start saying, you know, we're not going to wait till you hit and kill a four and a six-year-old before we send you to prison for a lengthy period of time. But that's that's just me. There are other solutions that are being looked at. And one of the ideas that is moving through the legislature is a bill which would allow the use of red light cameras to target reckless drivers. Wisconsin is one of those states that by law does not allow red light cameras to be used. What is a red light camera? It is a camera that you put in the intersection 
and it captures people who blow through red lights, gets their license plate. The way it's set up is it's typically able to also capture a picture. You know, a lot of times you get a picture of who's behind the wheel of the car as well. It gets the license plate, and then what happens is based on this photograph, authorities will issue a citation. That is illegal in Wisconsin right now. There's this bill which would, I guess, create a, a target program a trial program which would only be implemented in Milwaukee. It would include, first of all, 30-day public awareness campaign. Don't run red lights at high rates of speed. Um, Then a 90-day trial period during which only warnings would be issued to drivers. After that, so after that four months, 30-day public awareness, and then three months where you would only get a warning for driving through a red light when the police aren't there, um, three months, three months, go through a red light at 100 miles an hour, and we're going to just send you a warning. Huh. But after that four-month period, the 30-day more, the thirty public awareness campaign and the 90 days um, of just the warnings, after that, the cameras would allow police to capture images of and ticket drivers, but only those who are going more than 20 miles an hour over the speed limit and who deliberately run red lights. All right. Our, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let me be real clear here. This is one of the craziest things that I have ever heard. Now, hear me out. Not the red light cameras. Right, that that's that to me is is a great idea. There's not enough police to station themselves at every intersection in the city of Milwaukee where you have people regularly driving like bats out of you know where who don't give a rat's rump about pedestrians or cars or anything else. I have no trouble with red light cameras at all. What I have trouble with is this idea that Well, we're going to pass a law, but then it's going to be 30 days to notify people, hey, don't run through the red lights at 100 miles an hour. And then another 90 days where if you run through the red lights at 100 miles an hour, you're only going to get a warning ticket if there's not a cop there. And then after that, we're only going to send tickets to people who are going more than 20 miles an hour over the limit when they go through red lights. This is crazy. Why don't we get serious once and for all about trying to enforce the traffic? laws. To me, red light cameras are a great way to start and not with all these silly limitations. I mean, let's get serious about this. Now, look, I I understand that there's issues. You you know, you, you catch people, you send them a citation, they don't pay. All right. I understand you're going to have an issue with that. Got it. I also understand that maybe you're going to have a situation where you can't exactly tell sometimes who's driving the car. All right, you you can work that out. But the basic concept, I mean, really, why don't we have these cameras up all over like about two years ago? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And look, I, I appreciate that there needs to be limitations. You know, you don't want municipalities who are monkeying around with the time of the yellow lights, you know, shortening that. So they're trying to essentially entrap people into doing this. But I'm talking about legitimately. Somebody blows through a red light, uh, 10 miles an hour over the limit, 15 miles an hour over the limit. Why in the world wouldn't we use a red light camera to catch them? Do we want to wait till they hit and kill that six-year-old kid before we get serious? Nick in Milwaukee. Nick, you're first. Hi there. Hi, I'm, Nick. Yeah, I think the red light cameras are a good idea, but uh, one of the problems is 
the law-abiding citizens aren't the ones running the red lights. Right. These people with no license plates and driving stolen cars. And right. And all this reckless driving and crazy driving through the city. Yep. I, I Well, let me – look, I, I do I think that this is the magic bullet – that's going to stop, you know, every Yahoo from exactly like you're talking about. No driver's license, stolen car, blowing through a red light because it's fun or they think it's fun. No, I, I, I admit it's not the magic bullet that stops all of it. But I guess I would say I think it's a decent first step. And I don't I don't understand why we wouldn't do something like this. I understand where you're coming from. Right. Yeah. Th- thanks. So again, I look. I. 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 I mean. I. I understand. If you say, Jeff, this isn't going to solve all the problems. I. I understand that. You're. You're driving the stolen car. Boom. You got the no license plates. It's tough to identify. Yes. There is going to be a portion of the population that gets caught on these red light cameras that you're not going to be able to track down who they are, or they're going to tear up the the citations that they get. All that sort of stuff. I. I can see that. But. But to me, it's a start. We pick the conversation up right there. Why would we, why would we wait four months to implement it? Why would we give people who are caught on a red light camera going through a red light at 40 miles an hour over the speed limit? Why would we send them a warning for goodness sakes? We discuss more in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620. Bill in Lake Geneva. Hi, Bill. Hi. Hey, um, what the statistic that ought to be looked at should be how many of these drivers are actually in the car when they're buzzing through the stop, uh, stop sign or red light at 20 miles an hour. And that said, how many of these people really care about, um, the qual- the, um, damage that they're doing not only to their car, hmm. but the property damage and also the lives? And yeah, no, they right. I I mean, they don't care. I guess the idea would be, though, from an enforcement perspective, you could you you could at least get a better chance of identifying vehicles and perhaps drivers who are involved in this. Um, So you could use that again in in the future. um, if, If you see somebody, okay, this is the fourth time that this vehicle has been involved in something like this. Maybe a judge could use that when inevitably the person does hit and kill somebody or hurt somebody. Well, why not go after that person who's only driving 10 miles an hour, which is still going to do the same amount of damage or similar damage? People who may care a little bit more about their driving record, their insurance rates, uh, and the damage to their potential car and other people. And also they would have uh, some liability that could be... Uh, right. recovered from and, and uh, from the victim. Yeah, I, Bill, and I, by the way, I, I'm I'm with you. That's I I think we're on the same wave, wavelength there. To limit this exclusively, we're only going to use red light camera enforcement to vehicles that blow through red lights at 20 miles an hour over the limit. To me, is 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 crazy. Now, there's always look. There, there's always problems of proof that come in with these different types of things, and and there's always a situation of like how fast do they go. But I'm but I'm with you. You go through a red light. I mean, to me, it doesn't make any difference if you go through the red light. Let's say it's a 30 mile an hour zone. Let's say that. To me, does it really make any difference if you go through the red light at 55 or you go through the red light at 40? I mean, if there's a pedestrian that's in the crosswalk or there's a, a car. That's you know driving through the intersection with the right away. You know, if you hit that pedestrian at forty as opposed to fifty-five, chances are they're going to be just as screwed up. So that's why I don't understand why you would say we're only going. I mean, the crime itself is blowing through the red light. 
I mean, you know, it's not like you're using these to enforce speeding laws. You're using these to enforce laws of driving through red lights. So what difference does it make whether, like I say, you drive through the red light five miles an hour over the speed limit or, you know, 25 or 30 miles an hour over the speed limit? Why we would put these limitations on this technology is just kind of beyond me. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, good afternoon, Jeff. I agree. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're going to blow a red light at 10 miles over the limit or 20 miles over the limit, it makes no difference. I don't understand why there is a speed limit uh, yeah. attachment to this. But the other thing is, I think that they should take the car away from the guy. And if it's a stolen car, then the owner might get their car back and they'll be happy. You know, Mike, I, thanks for calling you. It's interesting. I have a text on that point. It said, Jeff, another benefit of red light cameras, they often prove violations at intersections that cause accidents and help keep insurance premiums down by providing indisputable evidence for carriers investigating accidents where it's often he said, she said with no witnesses. Or, to, to your point, it, it, exactly, you get somebody that's gone through a red light at, you know, whatever, and, you know, you see the license plates on there. That plate comes back to a stolen car. Well, at least if anybody's checking for stolen cars, now I understand that the cops are busy and stolen cars aren't a big priority around here, but maybe that'll change someday. Well, then somebody blows through the red light. They've got the plate. It's captured. And then you say, well, at least we know that at one o'clock yesterday, the car that was stolen two days ago from your driveway was used to blow through a red light. I guess to me, it, it's a no-lose situation. Again, I'm getting a number of texts and calls from people who are saying, well, it's not going to solve the whole problem. I understand it's not going to solve the whole problem. I'm not arguing that it does, but I still haven't had a compelling reason telling me why it's a bad idea. To me, it seems like it, it's a decent start. I just don't understand why the legislature, Republicans and Democrats in the legislature, are just kind of dipping their toes in into this. Hey, just authorize red light cameras. If you want to do it on a trial basis, okay, do it on a trial basis, but don't put these crazy limitations on it. Who cares how fast you drive through the red light? The bottom line is you drove through the red light. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Who gets to be offended and who gets to decide the punishment? This this is a fascinating story, made more fascinating by the fact that the details are still a little bit vague. But to me, that makes it even more interesting from a discussion point. Here, Here is the deal. Bryant and Stratton College in Wauwatosa is it's a junior college. You know, you know, junior colleges have two-year programs, and you can get a degree from the junior college, and you can go on, you know, then to a four-year program, etc. Um, back three years ago, uh, Bryant and Stratton College announced that they were going to start, you know, um, they were going to start fielding athletic teams. And they, they started with a men's basketball team and a women's basketball team and a men's golf team. And the the men's basketball team, again, this is a junior college level, it competes at the junior college D2 level, which means that they can give, they can give scholarships to some of the basketball players. 
Um, so they, they've, they've had three seasons. This is, I think they're getting ready to undertake their fourth season. They've had, during the course of the program, one or two or maybe three separate coaches because there's going to be a turnover. Again, this is a startup program. So they've got a new coach, um, last year who's going into the coaching this year. So he's in his second year, uh, a young guy. All right. So that, that's kind of the background of this. There's a story going around, and the number of the news, the newspapers picked it up, and the TV station has picked it up. The, the headline is that Bryant and Stratton College coach punished for using an inappropriate racial term with one of his players. And, and now here's where the story kind of gets gets interesting. Apparently, what what happened is that at some point in time, the the coach in interacting with one of his players, allegedly used a a racially offensive, quote-unquote, slur. The college investigates, said that we could confirm one incident of this. The use of insensitive language is not acceptable. And they said, okay, we've, you know, we've disciplined him in accordance with our policies and procedures. All right, that, that's it. All right. Well, we, we don't know exactly all the facts of, of this or how it occurred, but that's the, that's kind of the background. All right. Here, here's what's now happening. There is this group of activists. They call themselves the original Black Panthers of Milwaukee. Apparently what they did on Monday is they, they go to the college campus. This is this group, and it's the people that walk around in their fatigues and things like that. They, on Monday, show up at the college campus and demand that the coach be fired. They say that this basketball player who's black um, said he was called the N-word on two different occasions. We, this is the original Black Panthers, this is what they tell the paper, they said, we informed the school that if he, that's the coach, was not let go, we would disturb and disrupt their home games and their campus. So, you know, we're we're not going to let them sweep this under the rug. And again, in response, the school says, you know, we've investigated this, we found like one in a, example of like inappropriate language, and we've imposed discipline in accordance with our policies. All right. The college, again, defi- declines to identify, you know, the details of the punishment. Okay, but the original Black Panthers are demanding that the guy be fired. This is the organization. This isn't the basketball player. This isn't the kid's parents. Well, here's where it gets even more interesting to me. Journal Sentinel reporting a woman, I'll quote the story, a woman who claims to be a relative of the coach posted on one of the Facebook pages for this Black Panthers group and says the situation had been blown out of proportion. Quote, he did not call the player that he graciously gave a ride home from practice the N-word. We do not use that word in this family ever. She said players were joking around at the coach misspoke. The family of the player accepted the punishment for the coach. Why won't you? And then she goes on to say, the information you posted is inaccurate. You need to get the correct information before you destroy a man who has worked tirelessly for years to advance basketball skills of all the players he coaches. So th- this is kind of the, the backdrop. It's And this is where I find it to be really interesting. The player who, and again, I, who knows what the coach said or how many times he, he, he said this, but the player isn't coming forward and, and demanding that the coach be fired, all right? 
apparently school investigated, looked at the circumstances, has decided on some discipline way beyond firing. As the family, rel- the relative, purports to say on his Facebook page that the, the player and his family are fine with this punishment. They're not demanding that he be fired. They're not demanding that there be disruptions unless and until he is fired. Our number is 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, I, I don't know what was said. don't know the context of it a- at all. But here you have an outside group. And this is one of those groups that shows up when there's problems at Mayfair and stuff. And they're the ones that are saying, unless this is handled and unless the coach is fired, we're going to disrupt events. I guess my first reaction is, look, let the player, if there's a player who believes that he was subject to, you know, racially offensive or insensitive slurs or whatever, I mean, isn't the player the one that should be making the complaint? Isn't the player the one that should be going public with this? Isn't the player the one saying, hey, I, I think it's important that the coach be fired? Or are these these outside groups, are they the ones that the school should be kowtowing to? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess... Again, you'd like to know more of the facts of this before you determine whether or not the punishment was appropriate. But having said that, if if something inappropriate was said to a player, the school has imposed discipline, and the player and the player's family are okay with that, why should outside groups not be okay with that as well. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 414-799-1620. Dustin in New Berlin. Hi, Dustin. Hi, Jeff. Great show as always. Thank you. Um, I I see this as another example of uh, what we're seeing all the time where another group, a a social justice warrior, etc., um, basically, instead of consulting an alleged victim, decides that you know they know what's better, and uh, will take it into their own hands whether the alleged victim or not uh, wants any sort of action to happen. Um, it, it, it's unfortunate that they didn't consult this person. Well, I mean, I don't know that they consulted him, but it, uh, whether they consulted or not, because somehow they found out about it. But, but again, if these postings are correct. The player and his family are okay with whatever the discipline that with the school implemented. They're not calling for the guy to be fired. So if the victim, quote-unquote, I'm using that in quotation marks, if the victim is okay, you're right. Why are the social justice war- warriors, why are those the folks that are saying, oh, this guy has to be fired, when they really probably don't know the full context either? I totally agree. And, and the, other, the other point I have, too, is I'm always curious why the – supposed punishment has to be firing um if the the end result here is to learn a lesson and to change how people act and speak but why wouldn't this punishment if it's accepted by everybody else right uh, be sufficient right yeah i'm 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 with you exactly i mean and and look that's one of the things why context matters now i i don't get the sense 
that anybody is saying that this particular coach, for example, is this raving racist who routinely walks around, you know, using racial, derogatory racial slurs directed at, I guess a racial slur would be by its nature derogatory, that, you, know, you, you know, using, you know, racially offensive things and directing them at his players. I, I, that, that's not the sense that, that I get here. I mean, the Facebook posting, and again, I, I don't know the full context, but, you know, the relative is saying, look, he's giving the player a ride home from from practice, um, so the players were joking around, and the coach misspoke. Now, I again, this is this is as we've learned, this is really. I don't know what the coach precisely said, but it doesn't sound like this was in the spirit of of like racial hostility or or anything like that. Now, this is really in today's day and age, it is very treacherous ground to go through, and the coach is white, especially especially, you know, when you have, you know, racial diversity there. So I don't exactly know what he said, but at at the same time, this doesn't sound like it's something that, again, is part of a pattern and practice of overt discrimination. And you've got a young basketball coach, and and intent matters. See, that's one of the things that's so frustrating to me, and you would have thought we would have learned. You know, what what is one of the lessons coming out of the Madison School District where you have the zero-tolerance policy, so you have – um, black employees, black social workers, black um, school security guards who find themselves, like the, in the case of the you know, African-American security guard, he has a black student who's calling him the N-word, and he says, don't call me that, and he repeats the N-word, and they fire him. I mean, it's it's kind of like this craziness that is out there. And then you have this other level that comes to it from some of these groups that decide, if you don't do what we tell you to do, if you don't fire this guy, we're going to show up and we're going to disrupt your activities. Well, okay, maybe, maybe here's the way that you respond to that. You say, look, we're going to conduct our investigation. You know, we're going to impose the discipline that we think is appropriate for the particular incident. And, you know, if our board of trustees or the general public thinks that this has been wrong, well, okay, that's fine. They can stop sending their kids to the school. They can withhold donations, etc. But if you show up and you start disrupting things or whatever and you trespass, well, then we're going to call the police. And and I mean, I hope I, I hope. In this case, Bryant and Stratton, you know, doesn't give in to, you know, threats and bullying. Now, I do think it would perhaps be constructive, given the fact that this has gotten all the attention, to give us the context of of what happened and not hide behind the, well, it's an employment law matter. I I mean, I think that my sense on this one is the more the general public knows about this particular incident, the more they will be supportive of of the response Bryant and Stratton has. That's just my initial sense of this. But to the extent that they haven't gone public and haven't released the information about what their investigation showed and what the coach allegedly did, I, I mean, you always have this question that's out there. But again, the larger issue becomes... I mean, who gets to have this beef? And if the basketball player wants to come forward and say, hey, I believe that the coach has created a racially hostile environment and he directed these things at me and now I don't feel comfortable going back on the team and he needs to be fired. Well, at least in that case, you've got the victim coming forward and demanding what the victim perceives as justice. But if it's accurate as at least is reported by one of the relatives of the coach, that everybody is fine with this, why should the third-party outside group 
be the squeaky wheel that intimidates a school into doing something that it thinks is not necessary. Just asking. 1252, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Eric Bilstadt, I, I, I typically don't like to comment on what goes on on other shows because it goes on on, on other shows. But okay. um, our, 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 our morning host, your partner, Steve Scafidi, occasional partner, mm-hmm. he feels very strongly that communities shouldn't pick up leaves. Yes. Which I think is one of the silliest things that I, I have heard. Um, I mean, I, I used to live in Whitefish Bay, and we had all these giant mature oak trees. And, I mean, it's, you, you know... You, he says you should mulch well, all those But you leaves. couldn't mulch. I mean, there, there's so I'm, many of I them. I mean, you're talking about all these giant oak trees. You, there's no way you could mulch all these things. I agree Because they leave so many leaves. And so what you're supposed to do is... You, and then his other alternative is to, well, okay, then go get recyclable bags and bag them all up and then drive them mm-hmm. to the town dump or, yep. or wherever, to which I say, you look at the property taxes that, that people and I'm, I'm just picturing people out there like doing all this stuff and we're actually getting fo- photos like on our, our tmj text line <laughs> jeff i was raking leaves while listening to you can you please let scafidi know he can come over and start bagging whenever he has the time <laughs> that's down in cut i mean it, it's just I, I don't know i'm just i'm trying to picture i mean again where i lived in whitefish bay it was just amazing for like a three or four week period how many leaves fell and, and the, you were instructed you you rake them into the curb yeah, and then they come vacuum and, them and up steve says whatever. well it costs all this money well but it's just it's the same guys that are driving the garbage trucks that are driving the leaf pickup thing and they come by once every two weeks and they they get rid of them it's not like it's this huge new expense and steve says well you know that that's a police officer well okay well that by that argument you say let's not let's not plow the streets let's not you know do 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 whatever you know and use it for for other things it's just to me part of a community is is doing things like that including picking up the leaves you know what would happen if you told a community hey you need to just take care of your own leaves however either you drive them or you mow them a thousand times you know it's gonna happen nothing those leaves would just sit in yards then and blow around and it oh. up some poor sap who lives on the end of the block all the leaves oh. are gonna end up blowing into his yard well well yeah and and in look in, in some rural areas I, I know that's the case there are rural areas where you're on your own for your leaves you know you and that's yeah, why you know, people they burn them right they, exactly well don't don't try burning them in Milwaukee County right you know you you can't do that so you just you you rake them into the leaves and then they come by and they they pick them up but in, in any event we're getting all these listeners who are sending in photos of their leaf piles <laughs> in front of their houses and saying hey Steve come on over you want to bag it just oh, just just it. do it so yeah me me too um you know, I think I think there are things that you pay your property taxes for and police protection is one and fire protection is one and snow plows are another and i think leaf pickup is another one that's just me that's just me all right who gets to decide who is offended and 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 i bring this up because there's an interesting thing going on in menominee falls menominee falls i think as everybody knows now is one of 31 communities uh school districts in the state that still use Native American nicknames for their teams. They're the Menominee Falls Indians. They have been the Menominee Falls Indians forever. Um, Menominee is, of course, a Native American slash Indian name. The Menominee River runs through Menominee Falls, etc. And most people 
view the the name of Indians as 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 a positive. It, it's it's not being used in a derogatory phrase. It's hey, you know, we're it is a positive thing. That's the history of the nickname. The new school school superintendent is one of these politically correct, perpetually offended, not ready for prime time guys who apparently has made it his calling to try to get rid of this nickname to the point that he even sent an email out saying that he was going to resign if the school board didn't change the the nickname. It was either he was going to go or the nickname would have to go. Now, he backed off of that, presumably when he went home and his wife said, you did what? Don't you realize we just bought a house here, you idiot? So he's now kind of backed off on that. But, you know, he's already expressed his desire. Hey, we're going to turn them into the Falcons. I'm, I'm already working on the logos, etc., etc. The head of the school board is one of these, again, politically correct types, too. And it appears that in Menominee Falls, even though they've had public hearings, they've kind of greased the skids for this. Um, the school board, I think, has already decided this issue, and they don't care what the general public thinks. Members of the general public are even saying, all right, you know, let's even have a referendum on this. Let's see where the public is. School board doesn't appear to be that way because, like I say, the politically correct head of the school board, she's gone down a route. The school superintendent wants this. And they don't care what anybody else in Menominee Falls thinks. All right, to the point that they had a hearing this week, which I thought was interesting, and what they did is they invited a couple Native American speakers. Now, these were hand-picked speakers by the school board, and they, they invited Native American speakers, at least two of them, at this listening center session, and, you know, two that came to speak said, no, 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 th- this should be changed, that the nickname needs to be changed from the Indians, etc. And so as a result of this, now there's this push. Well, see, the, the, the Native Americans, they don't even want the nickname Indians. Now, again, th- these are handpicked people by the school board. What I think is, is interesting, and this is what I want to discuss with you, is, is who gets to decide how they are, who they are offended by. Now, now you might say, okay, well, I, I think, you know, it, it's Native Americans who should get to decide whether or not the term Indians is offensive or not. O- okay, fine. Which Native Americans? Now, I understand in Menominee Falls, they cherry-picked and brought in some people who express, you know, their good faith of objection to this. But, you know, almost every major poll, and I understand people believe polls or not believe polls, of Native Americans that has been conducted over the past decade has found that Native Americans are, aren't offended by these nicknames. I mean, some, one of the things that they polled a lot on is the term Redskins. You know, which I think if you could wanted to argue about a term that was offensive, you know, you could say Redskins, certainly much more so than Indians or, or Braves or something like that. But but even with with Redskins, you know, what they find when they poll Native Americans is that the overwhelming majority of Native Americans are not offended by that term. And, and that's pretty much consistent with with the polling that's out there. So. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess, who does get to decide? I mean, is there is there one person that speaks for Native Americans? Is there one person that speaks for Italian Americans? Is there one person that speaks for African Americans? And they get to decide what is offensive. If there's 
one person or if 20% of a particular group has an issue with, for example, the nickname Indians, and 80% of the group doesn't have a problem with that, does that 20% control? I mean, who who gets to make these decisions? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, again, it seems to me what they... I think they've already decided this in Menominee Falls. I think the school superintendent working hand-in-hand with the school board, they've reached this outcome, and now they're going through this dog-and-pony show to try to justify the decision they're going to make, regardless of what the majority of the population has to say. But at at the same time, I don't don't know, how how do you get a consensus? Is it even possible to get a, a consensus Because when we have talked about this issue in the past, we have received lots and lots of phone calls. I've gotten lots and lots of phone calls and texts from Native Americans. And and I I won't say that it's 100%, but I I, I hear from lots of people who are Native American who sit and say, well, what's what's the problem with the nickname Indians? Um, Some people, again, Redskins, I I think I, I get, but Indians, Warriors, some of these terms that have no intention of being used in a derogatory fashion, who gets to decide? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Drew is lining up the calls. We're back to discuss in just a moment. Like I say, I don't think people's opinions matter out in Menominee Falls because it seems to me that the school superintendent and the, the school board, especially the head of the school board, they've decided what they're going to do, and they don't care what you think in the falls. But I don't know. Is that the way to proceed? We discuss in just a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. You know, and some of the conversations about the the Indians' nickname are just they're just so bizarre. Here, for example, Journal Sentinel has a piece on this, and again, understand what's going on in Menominee Falls. That this this result. It is preordained. You know, this is just a dog and pony show. The school, the school superintendent has said he would resign. You know, then he backed off. So I didn't really mean that, but of course he meant it. He said he would resign if the Indian nickname wasn't changed. The school board president, she wants it changed. All the stuff that's been going on so far has been uh, geared towards pointing to the inevitable. They have a listening session, quote unquote, this week, and they handpick a couple people from various Native American tribes who come in and say it's an issue. But but it's hand-picked. They knew what was going to happen beforehand. The next meeting, the superintendent poses his recommendation. This is the superintendent who said he was going to resign if the nickname wasn't changed. And then they decide their decision on December 9th. Um, my whole point is, you know, what? Wh- who gets to make this decision? And if it's true that the vast majority, is at least as expressed by the polls, of Native Americans aren't offended by the term Indian, well, why should other people be offended by this? And then, of course, you get some of the, the really silly stuff. Oh, here's a text. Jeff, unfortunately, we live in a world where all it takes is one person to be offended and nobody else's rights matter. And after that, there is, if, after that, look, there's nothing wrong with Indians, warriors, um, et cetera, et cetera. But like one of the quotations, somebody shows up at this hearing and what's, that's what they say. People, and they're, they're objecting to the Indians nickname. People are not mascots. Mascots are pets. 
Native Americans are not pets. If you really want every child to feel at home and part of our community, give them a mascot they can rally behind. Mascots are pets. I, I don't even know how to respond to something like that. All right, mascots are pets. You have the Milwaukee Brewers. Brewers aren't pets. You have the Green Bay Packers. Packers aren't aren't pets. I mean, it's okay. So now, I guess in the politically correct world of of 2019, if you're going to have mascots, it's got to be maybe it's animals and and perhaps even just like happy little animals and stuff like that. We have the it's the Menominee Falls Pomeranians or, you know, whatever, because people are out there looking to be offended by these things. Now, I'm a big believer, as I've said in the past, I'm a big believer in local control. I think local communities should be able to make those decisions, which is why it's going to be interesting to me to see if the Menominee Falls School Board, which in my opinion has already decided that you know they want to get rid of this nickname, why they are so afraid of having a referendum on this issue, and that's because they're afraid that the vast majority of people in Menominee Falls might, just might, Tell them that they don't agree with their sensitivities and their sensibilities. Be fascinating to see what happens. But who speaks for for communities? And and yeah, you can find a couple people who said they're offended by something. But if the vast majority of people aren't, why do you give in to the handful of people who are? This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Here is my question. Should you at least have to try to pay your bills? And I think most of us would say, well, well, yeah, what are you talking about, Jeff? Well, uh, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Here, here, here is the deal. Let's kind of back into this topic. If, if you don't pay, let's say you have cable television and you don't pay your cable TV bill when it comes. What's going to happen is you're going to, you know, after a month or two, you're going to get a a late notice reminding you that you're overdue. And if you don't pay it after that, they're, they're what are they going to do? They're going to shut off your cable. That's what's going to happen. If you're one of those people, let's say you've got you got a cell phone, you've got your cell phone service through, you know, one of the big providers, ATT, Verizon, Sprint, whatever. Um, you get your bill every month. If you don't pay your bill, what's going to happen? Again, you get a notice, hey, you're overdue, and then if you still don't pay it, sooner or later, they're going to shut off your phone service, right? I mean, you're just not going to be able to continue to carry that. Let's say you have a car that you are making car payments on, and you're supposed to send in X amount of dollars a, a month, and you miss a car payment, then you miss a second car payment and you get one of these notices and you kind of ignore the notice. Well, sooner or later, they're going to take the car back, right? I mean, that's just going to be the way it works. Similarly, if you are renting an apartment or living in a house and you, you don't make your mortgage payments or you don't make your rent payments, well, there's ways that you can stay there and it's difficult. It's a time-consuming process, but sooner or later, you're, you're going to you know, you're going to be out on the street. That That is just the reality. It works a little differently when it comes to utilities. Starting on, well, Friday, which is November 1st, the, the moratorium 
on utility energy. They call, it, they call it the energy moratorium goes into effect. And in Wisconsin, by law, from November 1st until uh, April 15th, it's April 15th. Let me just look here for sure. Yeah, November 1st till April 15th, the utility companies are prohibited from turning off either the gas or electricity for non-payment of bills, which, which is fine. I understand the purpose behind this, the idea being – well, you know, if you have families who don't have the money to pay for something, you know, you, you don't you don't want to turn off the, the heat. You don't want to turn off the electricity, you know, in the middle of January. So we're just going to allow people to to not pay. So it, it's a pretty large period of time, November, December, January, February, March. It's about five and a half months. So what inevitably happens is that people decide not to make now, not not everybody but um, a number of people decide, hey, I know that I don't have to pay these bills for the next five months and that there's not going to be adverse consequences. And then I'll worry about what happens, you know, uh, in, in April. I'll, I'll worry about, you know, what what happens. And then, you know, maybe I'll agree to go on a payment plan or else I'll, I'll just move and we'll find some other place to live and we'll put that into, you know, somebody else in the household's name. But it, it's, it's a no questions asked, no way, no how can you shut off power. Now, don't try that with the phone company. Don't try that with the cable company. Don't try that with your, with your car. Don't uh, try that with the local grocery store if they've extended credit to you because sooner or later they're, they're going to cut it off. But when it comes to the utilities, that there's, there's no way to do this. And as a result, you have thousands and thousands of people who end up you know, not paying anything at all over the five and a half month period. And then by the time April rolls around, that they have these huge arrears. And the truth of the matter is there's no way that they're ever going to be able to dig out from this. But in many cases, during November and December and January and February and March, the same folks that weren't paying the utility bills managed to find ways to, I don't know, pay the cell phone or pay the cable TV bill. And I understand. I mean, the dynamic is, hey, if you've got limited amounts of funds, well, all right, they're going to take my phone, they're going to cut off my phone, they're going to take my car, they're going to shut off the cable. Well, all right, I'm going to pay these, um, and, you know, the utilities, we'll let them, we'll let it, we'll see how this all works out. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I understand and don't have a, a problem with the concept of not shutting off utilities in, in the winter. At the same time, the way we have set up this system is to encourage people to screw over the utilities, which means all of the rest of us who are ratepayers, at the expense of, of other arguably less important things. So this is what I, and I understand this is kind of controversial, but all right, if we're going to have a moratorium on, on shutoffs of power, shouldn't we couple that with at least requiring some effort on the part of, of the people who are subject to that? In other words, if you're, all right, if you're not going to be able to pay your whole bill, 
maybe you got to agree to put something towards the bill, e- even if it's only 10 or, or $20. Or maybe you have to make some sort of, of arrangement for, right, I don't have any money in November, but I promise by December 31st, I'm going to do something, as opposed to simply letting people stall payments for five full months. You know, you don't even have to call the gas company. You don't have to go and explain that, hey, I've lost my job, I don't have any money, et cetera, et cetera. You don't have to make, there's no screening, there's no scrutiny, there's nothing. It's just, you don't pay, they can't shut it off. 414-799-1620. Is it unreasonable to expect people to maybe just have to do a little bit? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Dusty in Wauwatosa. Hey, Jeff, how are you today? I am well, thank you. Okay, is it unreasonable to expect, just ask people to just make a little bit of an effort to show good faith? No, not at all, and I find it quite frustrating. The priorities are backwards, and it's getting old. If they rather have their cable or their $15 meals at a fast food joint, rather than their heat and electricity... Their priorities are backwards, and they need to go back to school. Yeah, and of course, that's not. And, and look, I appreciate we're generalizing that. That's not everybody, but it is. It is some people that are involved in this who understand the system and know how to game the system, and they do game the system. That's and and look, and I don't know what percentage that there is, and I appreciate that the idea that hey, you know, you, you don't want to be turning people's heat off in, in December, but at the same time. You shouldn't we expect some of those people to to make at least some contributions towards this situation? You know, e- even if it's even if it's twenty or twenty five bucks a month, some sort of good faith effort showing that you're working with the utility company to try to honor your bill, as opposed to what inevitably happens every April, where there's mass disconnections, where people then just walk away, you know, from the bills. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Frank in Bayview. Hi, Frank. Jeff, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, for the people that are applying for energy assistance, it could be categorized as a form of a loan. So in that breath, when you apply for a loan, you kind of have to open up your personal financials. Yep. And I think with technology now, we should be able to monitor and keep an eye on, as you mentioned previously, where these people's money is going otherwise, you know, for cell phones, cable, right. things, things of that nature that aren't absolutely necessary. It should be provided up to the people that are giving money, energy assistance, to these yeah. people who are asking for it but don't really need it. Right, or or it's it's a ma- again it's a matter of priorities. It's like okay, if uh, you know, I if okay, I mean, three hundred bucks a month to heat the house and the electricity and stuff. Well, okay, times are a little bit tight. I'd rather spend that three hundred dollars on a variety of other things. Um, arguably, a lot of stuff which isn't the mo- most necessary. Why, you know, why should they get to make that call? Shouldn't they have at least some obligation to take part of that three hundred bucks and put it towards the utility bill? Look, long and short, none of us like paying bills, sure. taxes. You know, I'm a Democrat, but the, the abuse of the programs that are put forth to help the needy, it, it just it's really got me on the edge sometimes. Thanks for taking my No, call. thanks for calling. Exactly. And, and again, I'm, I'm not saying you discontinue the, the program, but I, I am saying that I don't think it's unreasonable to say to some people, look, you know, you at least have to reach out. We want you contacting us, and, and we want you – um, you know, we, we, we want to see a financial statement or we want to come out and we, we want to look at this and we want to see what the assets are. And, you know, then maybe you got to make some tough decisions. Now, look, I understand for the vast majority of people that they're, they're, you're not going to shut it off. 
But again, it is interesting to me that for you know five, and this will happen. You talk to the people at the utility company, and, and they'll tell you this. You know, for for five months, five and a half months, they don't hear from people because there's no concern that that power is going to get shut off or or whatever. And then April 15th rolls around, and they start saying, okay, well, now we're going to shut off the electricity, we're going to shut off the natural gas. Then all of a sudden, people say, well, what do you mean you're going to shut this off, etc.? Well, okay, if if we had at least required them to come forward and to maybe make nominal payments or some, you know, just, and again, I'm talking about nominal payments, something to keep them in the system, maybe they wouldn't have dug themselves such a huge hole because it's the rest of us that end up paying for all this. Now, is that saying that, okay, well, you know, just willy-nilly, we're going to shut off the power for everybody on December 31st and, you know, throw families, you know, into these cold houses? No, it's not. But there are people out there who game the system. And I'm just thinking by requiring just a little bit of effort, you know, you, you gotta check in. All right. You gotta try to arrange, all right, maybe you can't pay three hundred dollars a month for utility bill, but you can pay twenty five bucks a month. Or you can pay fifty dollars a month because that's what you're paying for your cable TV. Well maybe you maybe you just gotta, you know, learn to live without HBO. Those sorts of things that I don't think are unreasonable to ask because again, it's these different choices. And if you can't make it a three hundred dollar payment, fine. But maybe you should be able to make a $25 payment or something, some show of good faith. Now, don't hold your breath because it, it's not it's not going to happen. I, I understand that. It's just a politically impossible thing because you try to do something I'm talking about and you get labeled as one of these heartless people who doesn't care about the poor. Well, it's it, it's not that at all. It's that. There is a percentage, and I don't know whether it's 5% or 10% or 20% or whatever, there's a percentage of people who use this moratorium to game the system. And I'm just saying, do we have to allow that percentage of the population to play us for suckers? This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Here's a couple texts on that. Jeff, I've known people who deliberately skip their December utility bill so they have more money to buy Christmas presents. They treat it like an interest-free loan for the holidays. And and I and I'm I'm sure that there's some people who are exactly like that. And I'm not saying it's everybody. I'm not even saying it's the majority of people. But at some point in time, this idea that we're just going to treat everybody the same and we're going to assume that everybody who's not paying their bills are not paying their bills because they don't have the wherewithal to do it. Well, that, that's that's why utility rates are so high. I mean, shouldn't there be at least some discretion that goes on here? And by the way, in a lot of states, um, in a lot of states, there are. There, there are there are different sort of rules. I was just looking for exactly Maine, Maine, a uh, climate probably similar to ours. Maine has a, a moratorium on shutting off utilities from November fifteenth to April fifteenth. Okay, so they've got it. But Maine says that as a condition of that, you have to agree to a special payment arrangement. So you, you at least you have to make an effort. You have to pick up the phone. You have to call. You have to do at least something um, in order to qualify for the the no shutoff thing. I guess I don't necessarily think that that's that that's you know wrong. Um, so again, 
All you have to do is make a little bit of an effort. And this always happens, again, like when, when April 15th rolls around, then people get all upset because finally they come in and they're going to turn off power. The utility company doesn't want to turn off power. Utility company, they're in business to, to sell you electricity and to sell you natural gas. That, that's their, their business. And, and they don't want to have to disconnect power. They want to keep it, it going, but they need you to make arrangements to make payments and things like that. I guess I just, again, don't think it's unreasonable to say that, all right, yeah, yeah, you're not going to, we're not going to turn off the power on January 15th. So, you know, people freeze, but at the same time, you, you got to show a little bit of an, an effort. And maybe that means, if you've got the ability to pay the cable TV bill and to pay for your um, phone or, you know, whatever, you know, maybe that means that you should have the ability to take some of that money and, and at least put it towards the utility bill so that when November, when um, April rolls around, you're, you're not so far in the hole that you'll never, ever be able to dig out from it and that everybody else will have to pay for it. Just saying. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Tony, did I understand you correctly during the news? The the guy that, not yet charged, but being held in custody, who is believed to have been responsible for blowing through the red light last week, hitting and killing the six-year-old girl and the four-year-old girl, one of the theories they're working on is that he hid the car and then was trying to paint it. Is that what they said? I believe so, yes. That's from uh, today's TMJ Forest. Hid the car, tried to paint it. Okay. Uh, This is one of these reasons why I I never, in in the years I practiced law, I I never really got bitten by the judge bug, never never wanted to be a a judge, really. And, And this is probably one of the reasons why I would have never made it as a judge because I hear that. And, I'm, and I, again, I get that people are innocent until proven guilty, et cetera, et cetera. But if that turns out to be true and they're able to establish this guy blows through a red light, kills two children, drives away, hides the car, and then tries to, again, conceal the evidence by painting the car, man, you would not want to be in front of Judge R. Jeffrey Wagner. I tell you that. <laughs> you just – that's – that's one where I don't know what what's the phrase that comes to mind in imposing sentence. Oh yeah, it's three words. Every damn day. Just every damn day. If again, they haven't charged the guy yet and they're still doing the investigation, but that's apparently one of the things that they are you know, that they are premising on. You drive through a red light, you kill two kids. And I mean it's one thing to do that. It's one thing to be the reckless driver, etc. But it's then it's that added element of driving off and then trying your best to conceal what you did, not just hiding the car, but then let's try to get it fixed. And it, it, it just, I mean, it never works because I, I don't know if, you know, you, you hit a person, that's that's going to do damage to the person, of course, but it's going to do damage to your vehicle. By the way, before we get away from the subject of, of hit and run, there, there's another you know, tragic thing. We, we've been spending a lot of time talking about, of course, the, the six-year-old girl and now her four-year-old sister who's dead as a result of the one that happened last Tuesday, last Thursday. But this this hit-and-run stuff and the epidemic of hit-and-runs, it's, it's not just a one-off. I mean, it, it's not just, you know, what happened Thursday. And, and there's, a, you know, a development in another hit-and-run. This was... Um, a week ago, Saturday, Saturday, October 19th, this happened on 23rd and Greenfield. And there was a 68 year old man. This has not gotten as much attention because 
it's a 68-year-old man instead of a four and a six-year-old girl, four and six-year-old girls. But but it, it's, you know, this is somebody's father. This is somebody's grandfather. This is somebody's friend. 68-year-old man named Roy Mendez, about 7.30 at night, he was crossing with, um, I believe he was crossing with the light, 23rd and Greenfield, um, Saturday, October 19th. Well, you know, he, what happened was car blows through that intersection heading eastbound on Greenfield. They've got they've got video of of this um it's a 2003 to 2005 honda accord a blue honda accord what happens is it blows through the intersection doesn't slow down doesn't hesitate slams into the 68 year old man um and then just drives off so i mean this person hits him and then drives off leaving um, Mr. Mendez for dead. Um, he he died uh, this morning. Died this morning in Fredert. He's been in the hospital from October nineteenth to uh, again today. Died as a result of 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 his injuries. In this particular case, the police haven't been able to make an arrest yet. Um, but it's it's the same sort of thing. I mean, it's the same sort of thing. Look, I I, I understand sometimes collisions happen. I I, I get it. But in this particular situation, again, you have a, a driver, no, doesn't care at all, no value of human life, hits this man, leaves him for dead, and, and now he is dead, and then drives off. Now, my guess is, at some point in time, sooner or later, the police catch who these people are because you've got the car, the car is going to have damage to it. Sooner or later, somebody is going to talk, somebody's going to see the car. You know, they're going to ultimately be able to identify who did this. I don't know if it's today, I don't know if it's tomorrow. They've been working on it for 10 days and they haven't caught the person, but they will at some point in time. But then, again, it's just, I tell you, so if I sound frustrated, it's because I am frustrated with this stuff. We, We just have people that are out there who get behind the wheels of vehicles and just drive with no regard for anyone else. Who hits a four- and a six-year-old girl and drives off and then tries to conceal what they did? Who runs over a 68-year-old man in an intersection, leaves him for dead, and then drives off? What type of people are there out there? And I guess when you catch them, what do you do with them? And I guess I think that answer is clear. It's you put them in prison and you put them in prison pretty much forever. So we, we talk a lot about these two little girls who got hit and killed last Thursday. Valid story, but please understand, like I said earlier, it's not a one-off. There's lots of this, unfortunately, going on on the mean streets of Milwaukee. When we come back, do you care what other people think about restaurants? Stick around. I'll tell you the story. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. What somebody else thinks about a, a restaurant. Now, I, I, let me kind of back into this. The, um, every year, for example, the local newspaper comes out with their restaurant critics' recommendation of the top 30 restaurants. And, and people kind of look at it. I, I, I don't pay too much attention to it because, um, candidly, a lot of the places that are on there I've been, but it they're they're like really pricey and they're really kind of frou frou stuff and it's not accessible to to most 
people, maybe for really, really special occasions. But I, I think sometimes you, what happens with restaurant critics is that they they don't understand where real people are when it comes to what real people like, and and they just. I don't know. Maybe it's because they've got their their fancy training or or whatever, and so they like the obscure stuff that's going to cost you five hundred dollars. Where I think you know, restaurant reviewers with kind of like the common touch that understand what real people want and what real people eat, I think that's always the most interesting. But at the same time, so I I, I tend to take you know, restaurant reviews with a grain of salt. If you talk to people that own restaurants, though, they live and die by these reviews because they believe that there's a lot of people who, who don't, um, who, who don't just ignore them. Well, I, I bring this up because there's a huge controversy in New York City right now. There is a famous steakhouse in New York City called Peter Luger. It's been there for decades, and it's one of these places where – if you order a tomato salad, they're going to charge you 26 bucks. If you order like a steak, it's going to be, you know, upwards of 100 bucks. I mean, it's just it's just stupid money expensive. And, and we have, you know, we have places on a smaller scale that are like that in Milwaukee where you pay just through the nose for everything. All right, but but it, it's one thing if you know what you're getting into and you're going to get a great meal. Anyhow, New York Times their their reviewer comes out and just rips this restaurant. I mean, they give it no stars on a four-star thing, you know, and they just, they talk about just not how, not only how overpriced it was, but how just not good it was and how rude the servers were, etc. And this has kind of started this national debate because then they get swamped with, with emails and letters from a lot of people saying, thank God, finally, some restaurant reviewer had the guts to come up and say the emperor has no clothes. You know, this place has been overrated for years and years, but because it's it's got a big name or a fancy chef or whatever, you know, people are afraid to, you know, rip it. Thank God you did that. And then other people are saying, well, no, we understand it's pricey, but we just absolutely love it. But it started this huge controversy and this huge discussion about how important restaurant reviews are nowadays. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have to say... When it comes to deciding where to go to eat, particularly a place that I haven't been before, and I mean, if you've been to a place, you have, you have a rough idea of it. But if, if there's a place that I haven't been, a restaurant review, whether it's online or whether, you know, it's somebody that's written in the paper, that has almost no impact on my decision. The thing that's going to be decided for me, it's do I know somebody that's been and, you know, what did they think? What some newspaper critic, not I don't mean to pick on newspaper critics or what somebody that's writing online, you know, what they think about it. Actually, as far as deciding whether or not to go, it's probably about a one on a scale of one to ten. And it's probably about the 20th thing that I would look at. Number one for me is going to be, do I know people that have been there, and what did they think of it? Okay, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I also think that just like this New York Times recommendation, what, what happens is lots of times the reviewers, they, they, they recognize that, you know, you know, they go and they pan someplace. Well, what happens is that can hurt the business, and then they're going to get negative feedback from the people who like the place. So what they do is they end up loving every place. And the reality is, 
not all places are that good. But 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you care what critics think when it comes to choosing where to eat? For me, the answer is pretty much no. I can decide for them myself, and I trust my friends or people I know a lot more than I trust, I don't know, one of the hoity-toity restaurant reviewers. How about you? 414-799-1620. All right, you read the good review in the paper or online or whatever. Does that make you not go or go to the restaurant? For me, no. How about you? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Ryan and Oconomowoc. Hi, Ryan. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling, pal. Um, you bet. Um, yeah, you know, I, I read that I read that uh, review um, of that New York restaurant. <laughs> right. It was hilarious. Um, and I, I love it. Like, so so I, I do like to read reviews of, um, you know, for, for newspapers and sure. things like that. Um, the people who go to the finer restaurants, I think their opinion is kind of cool to see. Um, it rarely sways my choice. Right. To, you know whether I go to a restaurant or not, but I like to see what they say. I, that if I'm looking to actually get an opinion on a place, like you said, either I'll ask a friend or a Yelp or Google reviews are the place to go because those are real people like you and me. Well, right, and and then and of course the thing with Yelp is you got to be careful because you never know who's yeah. posting them, and you could have nine people that love it and one person that hates it, and then sometimes people gravitate towards the hate. But yeah, I I think and kind of the Yelp. Too, so. y- yeah, right. But I know I'm with you. No, thanks. I think it's like to, to me. I mean, from an entertainment thing, that's okay. And I don't mean to pick on the local reviewer. I, I don't. Uh, but but I mean, okay, they come out with this list of the top 30 restaurants. I've been to a lot of them, and I'm thinking there's half of them I wouldn't go back to. And there, I, this, this is top 30. Well, okay, maybe if you're on somebody else's expense account, and, you know, you don't have to pay for the meal. Okay, maybe, but, you know, no, no factor into, like, cost and, you know, whether average normal people are going to like the stuff. And I, I, I guess... I just look at this stuff and I think, you know, all right, I it, I think sometimes critics, uh, again, they, they don't understand what real people like. And, and so they're not necessarily writing towards real people who might go to these places. But but in addition, I think a lot of them just kind of like miss the boat. OK, here's text. Jeff, I could care less about a restaurant review. I go on Facebook and I ask my friends about what they think. Um yeah, I, I mean, you know, that's I, I think that's the the thing that's important. I think people like, you know, what what do you know your friends have you been have you been to this place? Do you like it, etc. Jeff, you can usually tell within the first paragraph or two if a restaurant critic is an intellectually honest person or not. If they sound like a blowhard, I stop reading and I ignore the review. Well, I mean, I don't know. I think, you know, again, sometimes it's sort of like movie critics where they, and I appreciate this, you're you're trained in criticism. You're trained in journalism. You've seen a million movies and things like that. So you, you understand and you have certain, you know, tastes. A lot of times the stuff that you end up liking isn't, necessarily consistent with the general public because your taste is more refined, whatever, those type of things. So you you end up telling people 
what they should like as opposed to what they actually do like. And I think that's where, you know, people run afoul. But if you want to see, if if you're sick of picking up, like, the newspaper or going online and seeing these, like, restaurant reviews that just rave about everything, oh, the duck foie gras was just absolutely tremendous. And, and oh, I, I'm telling you, the 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 blanc sauce that came with this particular piece of fish that you've never heard of the type of fish before that was just absolutely to die for and you're thinking well, I wouldn't order that stuff if I went there anyways but if you're just used to seeing the the one after another just the glorifying things and oh this was tremendous and it's Peter Lu- all you have to do is google this Peter Luger L-U-G-E-R that's the steakhouse the headline in the New York Times Peter Luger used to sizzle now it sputters and it's um, it, it's one of the most brutal reviews that I have, have ever read. And again, I don't know whether it's appropriate or not. I do know if you're going to charge $26 for a tomato salad and upwards for $100, even in New York City, for a steak, and then people are going to have to pay extra for the potato and then pay extra for the vegetables. I, I do know that it, it better be a special sort of experience. And I, I think it's pretty clear that this was far from being the special experience. So, um, you know, kind of kind of check that out and decide for yourself. And if you're relying on newspaper reviews or, again, some of the stuff you might see on TV or whatever, I, I would say definitely buyer beware. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I guess short term, it, it's good news for Milwaukee. Long term, I'm I'm not sure. I'm talking about the announcement today that that Molson Coors, which is the the parent company of of Miller Coors, so they they, they own the Miller Light brands, etc., announcing that that globally they're going to get rid of about 500 jobs. Now you might say, Jeff, and in what world? And they, they employ about 18,000 globally. You can say, okay, in what world is it, is it good news when 500 jobs are disappearing? Well, here, here's the deal. And this is, it, it, it's an interesting, I guess, power struggle, whatever. Um, cores, which kind of has always been the, the, I think for many of our views, that the principal, the, the, the father figure, the big brother in the, in the Miller Cores takeover. Okay, Cores started in Golden, Colorado in 1873. Um, 2005, Coors merged with Molson out of Canada to create the fifth largest brewing company in the world. And then in 2016, Molson Coors completed its takeover of Miller Coors, turning that into the third largest brewing company in the world. Um, what they've announced is they're going to be getting rid of like about 500 jobs globally. But what they're going to be doing is they're going to be closing essentially the Denver operation and Denver is where the cores headquarters are now this isn't it's not the brewery the brewery's in Golden Colorado brewery's going to keep making cores in Golden Colorado it's I think the second largest brewery in the in the world but the the jobs the office jobs from Denver they're going to go away they're closing they're consolidating and they're going to have their main office in Illinois in Chicago but a lot of these jobs and we don't know the exact number, but several hundred, I think there's like 300 jobs in Denver that are going to just go away. 
what they're going to do is they're going to offer to relocate the majority of these people. And I, from the sense I get from listening to the mayor talk, is that these people that are working at Coors, the Coors facility in, in Denver, the headquarters, they're going to be coming or at least offered the opportunity. Those jobs are going to be shifting to Milwaukee. So it's one of these deals where it's bad news for the company that they're getting rid of 500 jobs. It's good news for us that 300 jobs in Denver that are going to be they're going away from Denver, but as part of the consolidation, they're they're going to be moving those to Milwaukee. So Milwaukee has a net gain. To me, the real interesting part about this story, though, is the fact that, again, like I say, Coors was always, I think, viewed as the big bird in this whole thing. And I think when there was the merger, takeover, whatever that was first announced, a lot of us were thinking what's going to happen is that those jobs that are in Milwaukee are going to end up going out to Denver. As it's turned out, for whatever reasons, that that's not the case. And now you have the Denver office being closed, headquarters moving to Chicago. And again, a lot of this other stuff, the ancillary stuff, those jobs are going to be in Milwaukee. They estimate that this is going to save now Molson Coors, Miller Coors is going away. Um, so it's just going to be Molson Coors. They estimate it's going to save about $150 million. And the other interesting thing for those of us who are beer aficionados is the, the company's been called the Molson Coors Brewing Company. Well, they're no longer going to be the Molson Coors Brewing Company. They're going to be the Molson Coors Beverage Company. Now, why are they changing to beverage? Well, it I think it's pretty clear that they're intending to shift to like non-beer products. Um, they're going to make beer, um, but it's not just going to be Coors Light, and it's not just going to be Miller Light, and they're going to be, my guess, making you know other sorts of things like teas and sodas and energy drinks and stuff like that. But bad news for the company overall because jobs are going away. Bad news for Denver. I was just looking at a story in the Denver Post, and needless to say, folks in Denver are not happy about this particular decision, but at least short-term. Short-term, good news for Milwaukee because, as the mayor said, you've got hundreds of good-paying white-collar jobs that are going to be coming to this area, some of which are obviously going to be transfers, people who do these things now in Denver who are going to stay with the company. But my guess is it's going to be open season, and there's going to be lots of people who decide that they don't want to move, and that will be jobs for people in this area. All right, when we come back, how soon is too soon? Stick around. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right. How soon is too soon? Let me share a text just got. Jeff, Hobby Lobby in Waukesha has had their Christmas section out since July. Walmart has had their Christmas section out since last week. Myers was still working on there yesterday. By the time Christmas gets here, I'm tired of it. Now, back in the day... When I was growing up, it, it used to be you had Halloween. And then after Halloween, you had Thanksgiving. And then, of course, you know, everybody geared towards the Christmas stuff. It was really, it was kind of like immediately after Thanksgiving, that's when you started to see all the Christmas stuff that goes up. Well, chances are, if you've been out and about in some of the brick-and-mortar stores now, you're seeing exactly what, I mean, this texture said. You are seeing that the Christmas decorations are up. Now, there's an interesting story 
have in my hands right now about why that might be. If you think it is too early, one of the reasons is that retailers are trying to meet demand. Get this. This is the number. They estimate that roughly 40% of consumers, this is according to the National Retail Federation, 40% of consumers begin shopping for Christmas, for the holidays. I'm going to say Christmas, but for the holidays. Roughly 40% of consumers begin their holiday shopping before Halloween. A full 20% are early bird shoppers who started in September or earlier. So the bottom line is that, you know, some people have already been shopping, at least one out of five, they estimate, has already been shopping since September. 40% are starting to shop now. And as a result, the stores, if you, it's not, they, the stores are going to say it's not our fault. You know, it, it's the consumers. People want to start shopping early. And so, you know, we're here. We don't want to wait, should make your way till December. You know, you want to buy, you know, your Christmas ornaments. You want to buy your wrapping paper. You want to start buying your gifts. We're going to sell them to you now. All right, we've only got a limited amount of time. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. All right, how soon is too soon? Are you one of these early shoppers? And and if so, why? If if not, why not? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Uh, here's a couple texts. Jeff, I hate it when retail stores rush Christmas. Hobby Lobby puts stuff out early because a lot of people with crafts with their supplies um, to sell at bazaars and craft shows prior to Christmas, which starts at Thanksgiving. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Are, are you doing your Christmas shopping in September, in early October? When you walk into the malls, do you want to see them decorated with the Christmas wreaths and with the holiday music and things like that? Believe me, the Hallmark Channel, I know this because that's my wife's favorite channel, they just started their Christmas movies. So every time I I turn around and I walk into a room where she's got the TV on, it's on the Hallmark Channel, and we're talking about some sort of Christmas movie that's there. But how soon is too soon? 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Jeff, I'm farther ahead with my Christmas shopping than ever before, but it's all because of Internet shopping and the ease of Amazon Prime. Well, okay, there is there is that element as well, but these, these are the stores where they're doing that. Jeff text, years ago, I wouldn't ever put up outside Christmas decorations until about Thanksgiving, but it seems like with everything, the season for any clothing, decorations, etc., has shifted way, way, way in advance, and it ends immediately upon the holiday date. I used to be able to buy greatly discounted items, including Christmas decorations, the day after Christmas, but now they're mostly gone before Thanksgiving, and with all the New Year's and Valentine's stuff, that's what's in place by then. Again, um, yes, 414-799-1620. Jeff, this is from Kelly and Greenfield. We have four kids, so it's a lot of work, and I tend to get my shopping done early so that it's all wrapped up by the time Christmas comes. I mean, I, I understand that. Jeff, I'll shop early, as in months early, because it's easier to budget gift buying over months instead of one month. Now, that's one of the things that retailers are noticing, and it's exactly that, that for a lot of people... It's easier to buy stuff over time to say, okay, instead of 
going out and doing all my Christmas shopping in a two-week period and running up, you know, the, the charge card balances for those two weeks. It's easier if we, you know, space it out ov- over time. One of the interesting things that's happening, though, from a retail perspective is as more people are going to the stores, it used to be you do holiday, you'd bring on extra people for the holidays. Well, well, now as more people are going out and they're shopping earlier, it's like, okay, when do we have to start our Christmas hiring? When do we have to start bringing more people on? Let's talk to Marilyn in McGuanago. Marilyn, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Marilyn. Um, I am actually 90% done with my shopping. And the decorations have nothing to do with it for me. It's more the spacing out of the payments. Right. Um, and I and I love shopping. I'm a shopper. <laughs> and so I don't online shop at all. And uh, so I shop, and when I see things that I think would the, the problem is is that I need to keep a list and right. write it down. Otherwise, you end up buying double. Right. Right. Yeah. You have to. You have to really keep track of that. Did I buy for cousin Frank or not? Right. Or did I get him yeah. something like that? Yeah. But you know, your principal reason. First of all, you like to shop. But secondly, you you said exactly what we were talking about earlier. You spread out. You spread out the payments over three or four months. You know. You're, so instead of getting one big bill in December, you get moderate bills over the first three or four months. Yeah, I would say that's good. Got it. Okay. Well, plus you like to shop, so it gives you an excuse to go to the stores. Absolutely. Nothing wrong with that. Thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. I, to me, I'm, I'm just sort of a traditionalist, but I mean, I understand, you know, you, you go into, for example, I mean, the, the Christmas departments are already out at some of the stores, for example, that sell the artificial Christmas trees and things of the like. Just, just last night, my beautiful and charming wife, she said, I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to putting up the tree. This last year was our first Christmas in our house, and she's and she's like, I can't. Wait. And then we we kind of like figured out, we figured out where to put the tree and all that type of stuff. And and now she's like, I can't wait till you know we can put up the tree. I, I just I want to get that tree decorated and stuff. And I I did say, honey, it's not even Halloween yet. She said, no no no, I know we're. I won't do it till after Thanksgiving, but I I, I want to do it. No question in my mind. That Friday after Thanksgiving, um, I know what she's going to be doing, and it's going to be putting the tree out. Dan and Butler. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Dan. Uh, I just wanted to say uh, that I have a Christmas club, and I know a lot of people do this with their bank or credit union or whatever. They give you your money in October, and we have in the past said, okay, well, we'll wait and buy Christmas stuff in December, and then guess what happens to the money? <laughs> it's it kind of dwindles, so so we started just saying, well, when we get the money, we got to go Christmas shopping then. So I mean, I'll, I'll wait till after Thanksgiving for all of the tree and all of that stuff. I don't like that coming too early. But as far as Christmas shopping, we got to spend it when we get our Christmas club money. I'm curious, why do you still use a Christmas club? I mean, that that's kind of a throwback to you know decades ago. Why do you why do you still do that? I guess because we started a decade ago. <laughs> Okay. I don't know. Okay. All right. No, <laughs> I wasn't being critical. I was just, I was just curious. Okay. Th- thanks for. I mean, that's kind of like the the old the, the thing that. Okay. Here you, you know, you got a special savings account that's part of this Christmas club and stuff. And I, I, I sort of thought that those had kind of 
gone the way of, well, I, I don't know, things that maybe like VHS tapes, but obviously not. 414-799-1620. Here's a text, Jeff. Uh, retailers only react to consumers. People are obviously making these purchases early, so the retailer accommodates. Um, same with Thanksgiving Day shopping. If people weren't out, stores would close. We wouldn't have the doesn't spending time with the family matter argument each year. Well, that that's obviously correct, and that's what the that's I guess you know part of it. If if you are if you're running out, well, I mean, for most people, okay, the trick or treating's already been. But let's say you're in one of these communities where Halloween is still on Halloween, and it's going to be tomorrow, and you're running out tonight to get candy, and you run into the store. My guess is you might have trouble finding Halloween candy because. All right, that the Halloween candy section's kind of picked over, and what you're really going to find is maybe like half an aisle with Halloween stuff, and you're going to find aisle after aisle with Christmas stuff. But if you and it and the texture makes an outstanding point. If you think, my God, why do we have all this Christmas stuff in these aisles? And you want to you want to blame them? It's not the retailer's fault. The retailer is just it's responding. And again, the, the numbers here: forty percent. Four out of ten consumers begin their holiday shopping before Halloween. Forty percent begin before Halloween. So again, it that's that's your number and that's your answer right there. You know, retailers are in the business to sell stuff, and if we collectively, if we decide that we want to start buying our Christmas cards and our Christmas gifts and our Christmas candy and our Christmas decorations and our Christmas presents, we want to start doing that in September or early October. Well, the retailers they're they're going to fill that need. So I guess. If you're one of those people, and I'm one, it kind of grumbles when you walk into the store and go, my God, they're playing Christmas music, and there's all these Christmas decorations that are up, and it's not even November 1st. Well, we have seen the enemy, and he is us. All right, when we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.